Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where the goal is not to block every shot, but it's to make your opponent believe that you might block every shot. The quote from the legendary Bill Russell, I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I hope B2B SaaS founders like you scale AR from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is amazingly great. We do that so that you can create premium valuation impact and enjoy the freedom of running your business instead of your business running you. Well, here we are. It is tournament time. March Madness is here. Have you filled out your bracket yet? Are you part of a pool? You know, it's one of those things I enjoy the process, but I'm not a great picker. I mean, maybe on guitar, but not basketball teams. After the first weekend, my bracket is always a mess. Some people put a lot of time and energy into getting their picks right. I mean, do you, is that now you go at it or are you too busy running a company and growing your business? I've tried all kinds of strategies over the years, but there are always one or two teams that beat the odds and make it to at least the Sweet 16 or sometimes well beyond that. Of course, there are big name schools with legendary coaches who are always in the running for a championship too. Schools become known for specific sports or achievements. You know, think about that. MIT, it's innovation. They have the best and the brightest. Harvard, Yale, Wharton. It's all about business and entrepreneurship. Alabama and LSU. Football, of course. North Carolina, Duke, Kansas, Villanova. Basketball. I mean, just synonymous. I mean, does Duke even have a football team? I don't know. I mean, maybe they do. But even if they have one, no one cares. Duke is basketball. I mean, that is what they're known for. Coach K. I mean, it's one of those things that that's just what they're known for, right? So how do schools become great? How do they become known for their thing? How do they win championship after championship? And the answer is focus. They choose what they want to be known for. It doesn't happen by accident. You don't build championship teams in a sport by accident. You don't have amazing academics or robotics or AI by accident. They hire the best coaches or professors. They invest in the program. They recruit. They attract the right people by becoming what the right people want, what they're looking for. And by right, I mean those who excel at what they want to be known for. You know, for basketball, the best players want to go play for a great basketball team and they want to go there. And then the team gets better and then there's excitement and then they attract more talent, better talent, top talent. They win championships and they attract even more talent. It's a self-perpetuating cycle. Greatness attracts greatness. So think about that in your business. If you decided what you want to be known for, you know, are you recruiting top talent for that? And I don't just mean top talent to work for some famous SaaS company, but I'm talking about experts in what you want to be, what you want to build, what you want to excel in. The most successful SaaS companies that I work with as clients They stand for something. They are crystal clear about who they are and how they help their clients win. Because of that, they attract top talent, which attracts top talent because they want to be part of that championship team you're building. So give that some thought this week. 
know, how can you enhance what you're doing to build a program that attracts top talent in what you want to build? Sponsor today is Champion Leadership Group. Get free growth tools and map out a plan to scale your business from seven to eight to nine figures. Travel with fellow SaaS entrepreneurs on your growth journey using a proven methodology that is mentor-guided, results-focused, and peer-supported. Celebrate big wins and quickly rebound from setbacks. Learn to do the next right thing at the right time to achieve profitable growth, impact, and freedom. Unleash your growth and scale your SaaS at championleadership.com. Our expert guest last week was John Dougherty, serial entrepreneur and founder of Credo and Editor Ninja. John brought great perspective as an expert and a founder rolled all into one. It's a great episode. Our founder last Tuesday, Steve Benson, founder and CEO of Badger Maps, the number one app in the app store for outside salespeople to upgrade existing CRMs with mapping, routing, and schedule. Steve is a wealth of knowledge and uh, sales and sales leadership is what we talked about. So if you missed either one of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. They're both fantastic. Really enjoyed our conversations. My guest this week is Osa Osarenko, a seasoned entrepreneur with an impressive background in tech and finance. Osa has launched two successful startups and co-founded a venture capital firm. He has great technical chops and put him to work in the restaurant industry where he is co-founder and chief product officer of ClearCogs. ClearCogs provides restaurants with optimal daily prep levels. How about that? Through the combination of modern data management, machine learning, and statistical tools, their AI predictive forecasting systems help operators lower their food waste and lowers the risk of running out of food at the same time. So it gets it right there in the middle, the optimal level to make and prep. Welcome a founder who loves helping people live easier lives and building more informed communities. Give it up for Osa Osarnko. Hey, Osa, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Happy to be here. Well, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into the restaurant industry? Yeah, that's a really great question. I am, I'd like to say that I'm, I still consider myself a bit of an outsider, even though I think I can convince quite a few restaurant operators these days. But my background is actually way more technical. You know, to take it from the beginning, I was born and raised in Nigeria, and then I moved to the U.S. for undergrad, went to Champaign for engineering, as all Nigerians do, and then went out to Boston for grad school, also in engineering, before moving out to Silicon Valley, working for a Fortune 500 there, building large-scale computing applications. Um, it was fun. I enjoyed that life, but I eventually... Um, moved to Chicago to start my first company about five and a half, six years ago. It was a very interesting roller coaster and uh, I would say like a crash course MBA trying to build a business and not just a product or even just a product and not just software, right? Because it's almost like a misnomer that all three are the same and it's like, no, they're really not. Right, right. Yeah. I learned a lot about what it takes Right. Like I, one, a good friend of mine who's also an entrepreneur of many years ahead of me, she said, when I asked her, what's the biggest thing that she learned from starting her first company? She said, well, yeah, entrepreneurship really is a journey of self exploration. You learn so much more about yourself than you thought you didn't know. Right. And I'd consider my first journey very yeah, true. Yeah. No, because it's because one of the biggest things was like learning to identify the things you're good at but also identify the things you're bad at 
and not for hubris, but rather to use your time most efficiently, right? In order to cover your own gaps. But yeah, like started that company, it went well, ended up selling it to one of our uh, bigger customers. And uh, while I was working on that, one of my huge gaps was the business side knowledge, right? And that's how I recruited my current co-founder. Back then, he was just a mentor for the first company, but he was just instrumental in uh, Matt Wampler. He was instrumental in, you know, taking what we were doing and putting so much structure around a lot of it, especially the customer acquisition side of things. Because again, it's one thing to build a product. Even if you built a product that people want, it's a whole other thing to to put to put it in front of the right people and to get people to 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 know they want it and to to seek it out. So how do you know when you have a product that the people want and, and get them to to seek it out? Yeah. So yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think um we we never really hit product market fits in the I never really hit product market fits in my first company. There was more importantly, there was a lack of founder industry fits there. So your, you know, your initial question of how I got into the restaurant space, um, my co-founder, he's from the restaurant space. So that was one of those green flags, right? Like I talk about red flags all the time. These are, I look for green flags. So there was the, that one green flag of, okay, he's, he has a decade experience in the industry. He knows what's out there. He has a good sense of what's out there. He knows how our customers think. So when we started working on what eventually became ClareCogs, one of the things that I fundamentally believe is that for founders, you need to be the most critical person of your path in the room. At any given point, you need to be the person who is the most critical. Because while investors might give you a, you know, a bag full of money or employees may, you know, throw their hats into the ring, you're really betting your entire time on this idea. So we spent the first nine months just literally just going, okay, so why isn't this going to work? Why isn't this going to work? And one of the things that I learned from my time in entrepreneurship is the most, one of the most important things is to have a good customer feedback mechanism, right? Like you're not really, the developer in me wants to build cool software just for the sake of building cool software. Right. It's the most interesting thing. I, I derive so much joy from it. Um, <laughs> like even until today, I'll still pull apart some projects and say, Hey, you know what? It's fine. I'll just, I'll just write the code for that. Right. Cause it's a comfortable space to be in, but the uncomfortable space is asking the people who will eventually pay for something. Hey, will you pay for this? And having them say no. Right. But I think that's where you find the most growth because the more I, the, the being able to put potential products, right in some form in front of customers and have them say, well, no, okay, then why? And effectively building your product while holding the hand of your customers and having them really like tell you exactly what to build and then eventually having them pay for it, having them help you quantify the value it will bring. And of course you can never do it with the whole market, but you can do it with a subset. And as long as that subset is relatively representative of a larger group, then you should be able to, that's enough evidence in my opinion to say, yes, this is something that a couple of people are going to want, right? And then you go out there, you quantify the markets and then you start um, pushing it out a lot more. And then of course that's, you know, those are the echoes of product market fit, I would say. And that makes a lot of sense. 
How is it coming from outside of the industry into that? Your background is way different than probably anybody else in the restaurant business, which I yeah. think is fascinating. How is that coming from the outside in and, and then learning that? Because restaurants are fairly unique. It's a really good question. First of all, I've always been really good at observing people. Right? Like I'd like to say that I'm actually, I'm an introvert, but I have the extroverted side of me that loves people watching, right? One of my favorite activities, grab a beer with some friends and just kind of observe humans being humans. <laughs> but um, it, sure. so, and I, and I'm, I'm applying, I'm definitely applying a lot of that to my work building tech for a segment of people who I'm not naturally a part of, right? But it's, it's always the same, right? Like, Whatever industry, whatever group of people, uh, if you look at a big enough sample of them, you'll be able to see patterns, right? And you'll be able to figure out like, and especially if you keep beating it down towards the roots, not root cause, but just the roots of how they operate. Like what makes you a good restaurant operator? What is the unifying theme or methodology or way of thinking, right? That applies to all of the people of that group. With the restaurant industry, and again, so I'm so I'm always going to, uh, willing to admit that I'm probably wrong, right? Like take everything I say on this podcast with a grain of salt. It's just my <laughs> observation. But I've found that in the restaurant industry it tends to be uh, people managing people, serving people, right? Like, and it makes perfect sense, honestly. But I think that there's this, um, there's an efficiency that can be built in most industries where you have the entrepreneurial spirits, mostly because, and that applies to startups as well, but most people get into certain businesses not to do all of the things associated with building a business, but rather to do the thing that is at the core of that business. So you'll find that many restaurant operators get into restaurants to either cook food like, like as chefs or to serve people, right? Like, and see the joy of people enjoying their food or like, there's so many reasons you get into it right. other than right. in order to balance the books, right? That's why we have QuickBooks, right? You get into, it's not because you want to read legal right, contracts. Right. That's why you get a lawyer, have legal Zoom. So it's looking for those things that, um, I, I think that there's, there are many large businesses to be made off of finding those things that are, you know, have to be done's within industries, but not want to be done's, and then optimizing them out, right? Like getting those out of the way so that people can do the things that they're more passionate about. And a lot of that learning came from, well, my first startup that was in the media space where, again, I knew nothing about the media, the workings of the media world, but also now that now in the restaurant space, you know, seeing the, the joy that people get from understanding that our product takes away some of the work that they do not like to do and they are not good at doing, right? Um, I, I, have, I have an analogy for that. So going back to being an entrepreneur and knowing the things you're good at and knowing the things you're bad at, the things you're bad at, I describe them like writing with your left hand, assuming you're right-handed. If you ask me to write something with my left hand, I'll do it, right? Like, you know, I can grind through it. It'll probably suck. <laughs> right. And it'll be ugly and I'll be drained <laughs> after doing it for about five minutes and frustrated, but I'll do it. Right. So finding those things that are writing with your left hand and then finding the person who's left-handed 
or the software that is left-handed that can just do it easier, cheaper, faster, better. That's effectively the ethos of what we do at Claire Cogs. And that makes a uh, total sense is it seems like a lot of restaurant owners, they get into it. It, it is, it's about the art. It's about the food. It's because they're, they're doing what they love. And the, the piece that's missing is maybe the science and the, the data behind it. And that's really what you bring to the equation. So tell me a little bit more about Clear Cogs and you know, the problem that you solve for restaurants and, and how does that work? How do you bring data you know, to a creative industry? Yes. So I, oh my gosh, I love the question and I love the framing rather like bringing data to a creative industry because it really speaks to one of the other things that we found, right? Like it is a creative industry and it's not enough to just present data. So what Claire Co- at is what we do is we provide operational efficiency for restaurants, right? What this means is data-driven answers to questions that you ask yourself periodically. So a concrete example of this is something that is one and one of our first products is your is associated with food prep. So 99% of restaurants open up every day and they ask themselves the same question. So I'm a taco shop. I sell chicken tacos. Well, how much chicken do I need to have ready to sell today? That's a fundamental question that you will, you don't ask it out loud. You don't need, you may not even say it to anyone, but you ask yourself that as the operator every single day. But here's the thing. Most restaurant operators we found will rely primarily on their guts to answer that question because they've been doing it for years, potentially, or months or for some time. And they've gotten really good at guesstimating based on you know, the amount of traffic there was as you were driving in this morning or you know, looking at the weather and saying, well, it's overcast. So you just kind of have that feel for it. But here's the thing. You've been open for a while. There's so much data available on the patterns that exist in your business. And while it seems chaotic to us humans, right, there's software that's really great at writing with its left hand. Right? There's machine learning code, there's AI that can, that's so much better at taking those existing patterns and sussing them out and being really accurate at saying, you know what? No, it's not, it's not what you think. That, that's not the factor that matters. This is what matters. Well, more importantly, right, and getting to like one of the beautiful things I love about your framing of this question, it's bringing data to an, arti- to a, a, an artistic endeavor. We're not just telling them this is what's going to happen, right, or, or, or this is what your future holds, but rather answer that question. Because the real way you frame the question is, how many trays of bread do I need to pull out of the freezer today to have ready to bake? Or how much chicken do I need to marinate to have ready to cook up tomorrow because it takes 24 hours of uh, marination time, right? Or how many folks do I need to have staffed for next week, Wednesday, because I make my schedules every Wednesday for the week after. So being able to concisely answer that question with, you need four trays of bread. You need 32 pounds of chicken. You need these many people for each individual shift for the next seven days, starting next week, Wednesday. See, putting it in the context of where it, we, you know, we like to say like we strive for anti-friction, where it's not just helping you do the job, but taking you all the way to the precipice. It's not doing it for you. It's not telling you how to run your business, but being that assistance, right? like that, that voice in your ear that answers those questions as you ask them. I think that's really interesting. And just, you know, being that, that assistant, uh, one of the things that, that uh, phrase that, uh, that you use, you know, we don't expect you to learn our technology to solve your problems. We use our technology to concisely and efficiently solve your problems. 
And I thought that was really interesting because it's not just tech because tech is cool or AI because it's the, the latest thing uh, or making them become technology people, but it's really using technology to make them better at what they're doing to, to you know, bring that, those complementary skills in. So let's unpack that a little yeah. bit. I think very quick, I, I love this path. And I think very quickly you'll get into the whole like, you know, AI taking over the world and we're losing our jobs. Or, but I do think that, you know, the way we look at it is enablement, right? Like software as a service is truly still being a service, right? That enables people to, to be happier with the things that they then have to do, right? It's um, taking away some of the distress when we are in sales pitches and talking to our potential customers. We'll explain a lot of what we do. Right? And they're always really excited because it's new. This is not something that people in the restaurant space that I've seen think is possible. So them learning that this is possible, they get excited. But you can tell that there's still scars from software, from software implementation, from having consultants who you have to hire to come sure. in and help you understand how to use this new platform that you just paid a ton of money for. Because right? you know you have to do it, but you don't know how. And you're frustrated. It's extra work. So they always sigh and say, ah, oh, that's so cool. But how much work is this going to be? Because they, you know, they, you can feel that they have that, that, that tension. And I would say, no, it, it is zero work. You do nothing. It's an hour to onboard you on day one. And then you never have to speak to us again. And that's the, wow. that's the moment of yes. <laughs> yeah. So we really take to that heart is really that amazing. idea that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We really take to heart that idea that. Everything we build, everything we do should be, should help drive an easier life for our customers, right? Get them excited, get them happier than they were before they used us. So what is the biggest surprise you've had coming into the, the restaurant industry? You've been in tech in other areas, but you know, coming into the restaurant industry, what's been surprising to you? Yeah, so restaurant, the biggest surprise I had, I mean, it's, it's going to sound so naive, honestly, I think, but... Um, maybe exposing my youth a bit here, but coming from tech into restaurants, it took my co-founder six months of telling me that this doesn't exist and nothing like this exists. See, coming from tech, I live in a world where, um, you order something on Amazon and I understand that Amazon knew you were, you were going to order that before you ordered it. That's why they had already shipped it to a distribution center in your neighborhood and they're able to deliver it the same day. Like there's so much predictability in terms of human behavior, right? And, and there's so much advancement in terms of not just the predictability, but in general, we're, we're watching uh, our screens and seeing them experimenting with uh, working on planting chips in humans' brains to, you know, help you scroll on your phone with your eyes, right? Like it, that's the world I lived in, right? And then to come into the restaurant space and, you know, find customers, we're on the phone with them and you know one of my greatest analogies they'll wear they have like a you know backward turns baseball hat with a pen in it right because they still take that out and write stuff down every once in a while and and i was like i don't i don't think i have a pen and paper in my house if you ask me to right now i have like a digital pen that i can use to write on my tablet but <laughs> one of the biggest surprisings and learnings for me was just how much I, and, and then to contextualize it, there's also the understanding that we all eat at restaurants, even if not all the time, right? 
on this on some sliding scale. I love cooking, but I still go. I still love a nice dinner outside, or sometimes fast food if I'm really feeling lazy, right? Like, but and they're always there. Right? There's always something available. There's such a robust infrastructure built to continue feeding the world, and yet it's built on yes. the backs of people, right? Yeah. Like managing people, serving people is built on paper and pen, right? And it it baffled me because you would think like I'm like I'm used to hearing about how inefficient the government is, right? But then to find that like even in the industries that are so close to us that we interact with every day there are still these inefficiencies and people and, and it's like overlooked industries like this. I think that was one of the biggest like lessons for me. Um, and I think uh, selfishly makes me feel really good because as someone who loves innovating and discovering new things or building new things, you know, I think you, I think maybe it was when I was like 21 or something, I, you know, get going into the job market for the first time or exploring what's really available out there. And you come back and you say, damn, They've done everything, right? Everything that can be built has been built and there's nothing left for us, you know, millennials and Gen Zs. But the reality is that they, right. they, like, it was surprising in a good way to find that there are still optimizations. And also it was enlightening, but another benefit of that is also knowing that we're not all at the tip of the spear in terms of technology. So when we look at the problems we have as a society, there's still so much we can do, like technology can do to help elevate the remaining parts of society, right? Like, so, you know, one of the, one of our big incentives, passions internally, right? Or, or metrics internally is food waste reduction, right? Food waste prevention, really. And when we talk about how, oh, we're running out of food to feed people or, you know, the prices of food are going up and we see that, oh, well, <sighs> 40% of food goes to waste before it reaches the consumer, right? So then it's like, oh, well, if we can build technology to help with that, right? Like to help beat down that problem in every, every aspect of the supply chain, right? Like that, not just us, right? Like our peers in the industry who are trying to deal with redistribution or reducing waste on the logistics side or even on the farm itself, right? Like trying to get all of those down, not to mention the carbon emissions that come from food waste, right? While you may buy the stick of bread for 50 cents, it has to be grown, it has to be processed, it has to be frozen, it has to be shipped, refrigerated. Like that's all carbon, right? That you're now reducing by just saving, by using the thing you already have more efficiently. So it does bring me a lot of joy to learn that there are still, there's still so much we can do with technology to improve the world. I love that. And, and just that there, that there really is. Yeah, you know, a lot more that we can do. We've seen a lot of changes over the last couple of years uh, in the restaurant industry and adopting technology very quickly. So how do you see that going forward? Do you think tech adoption is going to stay you know, accelerated in the industry or do you think it's kind of frozen where it is again for a little while? So that's something that I think about all the time, right? Um, there's many reasons why now is really the time for a solution like ours to emerge and become prevalent. Um, one of those being the increased adoption of technology. I think that it is up to us, the restaurant technologists, to not ruin it, right? To leave less scars than what we found, right? To actually build and to build products, softwares, companies 
that do the things that we tout on social media and on our websites to actually help restaurants because no one does knowingly does what's bad for them without some really big upside, right? Like, so if we continue to have technology that does help them run more efficiently, saves them money, helps them get more customers, helps improve their standard of living, then yeah, of course the trend will continue. So I, I look at it and I, I know that there's, but there's always the potential that we will, you know, mess it up. And that's not we as ClickWorks. ClickWorks is fine. We're definitely going to do everything that we say, but that sure, other players sure. in the industry will mess it up and leave more scars, right? Like hurts these restaurants that they purport to help. And, you know, we're not in a position to, we're not yet the leaders in this space, right? We will be. And, but I, my hope is that as a community, we'll just, you know, stick to the things that we're saying. And I think that will help rising tides lift all the boats, right? By helping restaurants be more comfortable with technology. And I think you, you bring up a point that is, is really across industries where software is sold and it's going to have all these great benefits. But a lot of times those companies either have real challenges implementing or they just never see the benefit, uh, either because they're not using it right, not using it well, or it just isn't that great to start with. Maybe it's oversold. So I think that's a really interesting observation for the restaurant industry that, uh, that you know, for good reason. Uh, they're gun shy, just like uh, other industries yeah. are as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think even though it's a very different industry, there's definitely parallels I draw from my time trying to build tech for the media space, right? Where the media companies have been hurt so much by technology, right, across the board. So there it was really, you were seen as, uh, no matter how much you said you were trying to help, you were seen as the hen, uh, sorry, the wolf in sheep's clothing. And I think we just have to, uh, so yes, it's across multiple industries, but technology and technologists just really need to step up and really li live the, um, live what they preach. And just like the restaurants are serving their, their customers and really focused in on that. I think as software providers, we can learn a lot from that and make sure that the service that we're providing, it really does live up to the hype. Absolutely. In starting ClearCogs, um, what are the things that, uh, you know, you would go back in the, that you'd love to tell yourself from the beginning? So, Hey, if I could go back to a few years or my earlier tech self, you know, things that you would tell yourself or lessons that you've learned along the way. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. So I think, um, looking at our trajectory so far, looking at everything we've done, I don't think I would necessarily change anything. And that's not to say there haven't been missteps, but even the missteps have been great learning opportunities, right? And, um, and that kind of, uh, and you know, for better or for worse, I think I'm, I'm an optimist when I think of the past, right? Because there's always that learning opportunity. I'm proud of the fact that we have not lost track of the customer voice in everything we do. One of the ways that I've come to describe Claire Cogs, uh, especially when talking to investors, more so than customers, even though I think it holds, it, it may bring value to customers to know this as well, is that the thing that we're proudest of having built is not our software, it's not our product, it's not even our uh, you know, business marketing sales funnels, but rather it's the feedback loop, the, the mechanisms for collecting feedback from our customers and the, the ethos and like the drive within everyone in the organization where now I have 
you know, like one of my happiest days was when I told one of our developers, hey, we should build X. And he said, why? And I said, well, I think it's going to do A, B, and C for the customer. And he said, okay, have you gotten that feedback or do you think so? And I thought, you know what? I think so. Let me go check. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go talk to some and validate that. Yes, it will actually drive value. Right? I may have been right in that situation, but I love the fact that every single person in the organization thinks about everything that they do from the perspective of the customer and how this is inefficient, but not for me, but why am I bothering them? And one of the things that we did, like um, this is all credit to my co-founder. So there's this show based out of Chicago um, called The Bear. It's a wonderful show right? on FX. And what um, it shows a little bit of the chaotic life of restaurant operators, right? And we gave it as homework to everyone, including anyone new or anyone who doesn't have deep restaurant experience in our organization to go and watch that show, to grow some empathy, right? For restaurant operators so that when we send out an email or schedule a call and, you know, 25 minutes into the call, they haven't shown up. And then they email back two days later saying, sorry, I was busy. Can we reschedule for next week? And they push it four times in a row. Everyone shows up and says, you know what? It's entirely fine. It's, it's okay. Maybe the restaurant was on fire. Maybe someone didn't show up and they had to pick up right. the mall, clean out the bathrooms, right? Like there's chaos on the back and we're here to reduce that and not be another cause of stress. Definitely <laughs> our ability to empathize with them on that front has been fantastic. That's really, really good. So what are things that you do to eliminate stress and, uh, and the, the, the pressures of running a company? Oh, that's so, um, I, um, I recently, I subscribed to like, you know, 20 newsletters. And I think in the span of a week, one of them sent out a newsletter that was about, um, as an employee at a startup, how to reduce your stress. And I, I read it and I said, okay, well, this is great. Set boundaries, right? Like know when you're getting burnt out and X, Y, Z. And I thought, yeah, this is great. Forwarded it to all the people who work for us, but I did not send it to my co-founder slash. I had a conversation with him where this does not apply. <laughs> and then a few, a few <laughs> days later, we got a, uh, I, I got another newsletter that was about how founders should handle stress. And then I got really excited. I thought, okay, so this is for us. And I remember reading it and I think my, my, my takeaway, you know, uh, paraphrasing very, very, very poorly here was, yes, you're going to get stressed. Yes, you're going to get burnt out. Maybe try going for walks. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't have um, too much like great inputs on how to, how others should, or even how, what the optimal stress management mechanisms for founders are, I know that I found that having a good morning routine has been instrumental, right? Like waking up a little bit earlier, getting a little bit of workouts in and just being able to start your day strong. But I also think that that involves ending your day, being a little nicer to yourself, right? Like I, it's the classic, no screen time after nine, unwind for an hour, maybe watch something or read something or do something else entirely that can help shut down at least one or two circuits before you try going to bed. 
Um, I think those two things are really the only thing tethering me to reality these days. <laughs> Do you ever have times where you just unplug from tech? Is that something that, that you've tried or is that something that's really scary? Scary. So yes and no. Um, not, not really scary. One of the things that I love to do is on my birthdays, I will go out into the woods because I love camping or rather I love nature holistically. Camping, hiking, all of the above. So on my, my, I've, I've designated my birthdays as I'm going out into the woods where there's no cell service, partially because I don't want people calling me. Um, so if you're, if you're hearing this, don't call me on my birthday um, because it's my day. Right? Like, I don't want to, <laughs> I want to be really selfish like that. that day. But on the flip side, my sister was making fun of me, uh, last week. Or, yeah. Last week I was home for Thanksgiving and, uh, she looked over my shoulder and I was on my phone and I was watching, you know, some two, three minute YouTube video on dissecting the, the, the pros and cons of some new programming language. Right. So I definitely do that for fun as well. <laughs> that's good. That can be relaxing as well. If that's what you, you love and that's your passion, then that, that is a, that's not work. That's when it work yeah. becomes really fun. It's when you just love what you do and the, the results you create. Very true. Very, very true. You're spending so much of your life and so much of your uh, energy pellets on this. I, I would hope that entrepreneurs, first thing you should do is make sure it's something you love. Because there's going to be ups and downs, right? It's going to be the, you're going to fall into, what, what is it? The pits of despair, the, the trough of sorrow. <laughs> you're going to be down in the dumps once in a while. So Yes, that's really important. What role have mentors played in your success? I probably can't attribute 100% of my success to mentors and advisors and, and coaches, but I would say it's pretty darn close <laughs> um, across the board. <laughs> I, I, I love I, I'd to agree. That. I'd say the same thing for me. Yeah. 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 I think, um, what, one of my, my idols or you know, people who I really look up to, he said once I'm paraphrasing, he said, um, he loves it when people prove him wrong, right? Because that means he just learned something. And I really took that to heart because I think it's about putting aside your ego, not, not having an ego, right? Everyone has some degree of an ego, but being okay to put that aside and learn from people who are smarter than you or people who know more about every given topic than you. As a founder, your primary job, right? It might not always be the thing you're working on, right? Like there's all of the things you need to do to support this. But one of the things that is most fundamental to do is to find smart people and then get out of their way. Very often that's, um, that insinuates hiring people, but sometimes it's also getting mentors who can who can tell you what to do and how to do it better, right? Sometimes it's getting advisors who can help other employees in your company do their job more efficiently or, or better or just make more of an impact. And I know for a fact that every human has more that they don't know than they do know. But the distribution of knowledge is also sure. very, it, it's, it's very spiky, right? The person right beside you might know the polar opposites of what you do. And it's not a matter of judging them based on what you know, but rather having them help you understand what they know. So I've definitely, I've been a proponent of um, mentorship and, and advisors and surrounding yourself with smart people. Um, that's the only way that I could have gotten to where I am. Well, where can people learn more about you and about ClearCogs online? Um, so we have a pretty strong presence on LinkedIn, ClearCogs. 
Uh, you can also check us out on our website, clairecox.com. Feel free to reach out to learn more. Um, Matt and I are always monitoring all of our channels, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, so Instagram, um, Twitter. And we have someone who handles social media, so we are, we are ever-present. Um, just look up Claire Cox and we'll be there. Excellent. We'll make sure and link all of that in the show notes as well. Also, I've really yeah. enjoyed our conversation. Likewise, Jeff. This has been such a great time. I am. I listened to a few of your episodes and I'm very proud that we were able to get a slot on here because I, I love what you're doing. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being on Task Fuel. Thanks again to Osa for coming on the show and sharing your journey and insights. All links, highlights, show notes, and full resources are available at sasfuel.com. So please subscribe and follow us there as well. Everyone who subscribes this week gets a reset button on their tournament brackets. All your teams are in the Sweet 16 automatically. Done. Yeah, I can't guarantee they'll get to play another tournament game, but you can write their names in the brackets anyway. I'll back you up on that. Now, I'm, I'm sure they did win in an alternate universe somewhere and you still have a perfect bracket. All good. Well, join us next week on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series where you'll meet Travis Chapel, founder and CEO and the mastermind behind Guestio, a software marketplace that connects you with top talent for your content needs. Travis shares his insights on building a successful startup, finding the right talent himself, and the secrets behind his own podcast called Figuring It Out. Don't miss this fascinating conversation. I will see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.